Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. Uh, last week, I, I talked talk to you a little bit about a dream that I had. I'm not going to go over that uh, this morning, but the, the main part of the dream that was spoken was this phrase, um, this phrase from Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3, and it says, the garment of praise uh, for the spirit of heaviness. And the dream, the phrase that was given to me was the garment of praise fixes the spirit of heaviness. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And uh, I want to talk a little bit more about that today, although I'm going to start talking about that and get about five minutes into the message. And you're going to be like, what does this have to do with the garment of praise? And I promise you it all connects. Uh, but I want to read that verse to you real quick out of Isaiah chapter 61. So if you have your Bibles, open to Isaiah chapter 61. We're going to start in verse one. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of the vengeance or the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I wasn't going to read this, so it's not up there, but I'm going to read this to you. We're going to skip to uh, verse 10. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels for as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the good things that are sown into it to spring forth. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth from all the nations, from all the nations. This is what Jesus came to do, to give joy for mourning to give the garment of praise for the spirit of for the spirit uh, of heaviness, not happiness, heaviness. He came to clothe us with righteousness, which we're going to talk a little bit more about here in just a moment. This was God's mission. This was Jesus's mission to come to earth. This is the gospel of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to need some help this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's look at Acts chapter eight now. Acts chapter eight. It's the story of Philip going into the Samaritan village and it starts in verse, uh, chapter eight, verse four says, although the believers were scattered by persecution, they preached the wonderful news of the word of God wherever they went. Philip traveled to, to a Samaritan city and preached to them the wonderful news of the anointed one. And now listen to the effect of the gospel that was preached. The crowds were eager to receive Philip's message and were persuaded by the many miracles and wonders he performed. Many demon-possessed people were set free and delivered as evil spirits came out of them with loud screams and shrieks, and many who were lame and paralyzed were also healed. What does this remind you of? 
the gospel was preached and the result was the brokenhearted were healed, the captives were set free and the prison doors were opened. This was the result of the gospel. And the result of that, the result of the brokenhearted being healed, the captives being set free and the prison doors being opened was verse eight. And it says, this resulted in uncontainable joy filling the city. What does that remind you of? The garment of praise. That the gospel was preached, the captives were set free and heaviness left and was replaced by the garment of praise. Listen to this statement closely. The fabric that makes up the garment of praise is the gospel of Jesus. The substance of the garment of praise is the gospel of Jesus. If we want to see heaviness broken over our own lives, we have to clothe ourselves with the revelation of the gospel of Jesus. Heaviness. We talked a lot about what heaviness can look like last week, but heaviness is broken by the revelation of the gospel of Jesus. Amen. And what a profound gospel Philip had to have been preaching. What a profound, irresistible gospel Philip had to be preaching. Let's look at the context in which Philip is preaching this gospel. That persecution that it talks about in that very first chapter was not somebody slamming them on Facebook. <laughs> the persecution that they were talk, he talks about in the beginning of those verses is the, that they are on the run for their lives because Stephen was just murdered for the gospel. He was the first martyr for the gospel. And this is the context that Philip is preaching the gospel. He's preaching the gospel while on the run from persecution after just witnessing a man being stoned to death for the very gospel he is now presenting to the Samaritans. And it says that the Samaritans received the gospel with joy. Think about that. They just watched their neighbors being stoned, rocks being literally thrown at his head for this very gospel. And yet they are receiving it with joy. What kind of irresistible gospel is Philip preaching to this group of Samaritans that makes them want to accept with joy a gospel that just a few weeks ago or just a few days ago caused one man to be murdered. And then it goes on and it, it says that after Stephen was murdered, it says that they went, that Saul headed this up, this, this rampage and this, this campaign where he went city to city and went into people's houses, dragged them from their homes and threw them in prison. Yet the Samaritans are receiving this gospel with joy. What kind of gospel is Philip preaching to these people? What kind of good news is so irresistible that these people are willing to accept it with uncontainable joy in the midst of persecution? It's interesting to note here as well that not only 
is Philip preaching this gospel that is causing others to be martyred to this group of people, but he's preaching this gospel to a group of Samaritans. And most of you know, we've talked about this before, Samaritans and Jews have a long, deep history of despising one another. They have a, their history goes clear back thousands of years before to, to David and Solomon's kingdom. And then in that kingdom, there, there was this hatred that began to grow between Jews and between Samaritans. And they were divided and they grew up learning to hate each other. Yet Philip, a Jew, walks into a Samaritan village, begins preaching a gospel, and the Samaritans begin receiving it. In fact, what does it say there in that verse? It says... Uh, it says the crowds were eager to receive Philip's message. They were receiving a message from a man they were taught to hate from birth. What kind of scandalous gospel was Philip preaching to this people, these Samaritans? What kind of gospel was he preaching that they would hear from a Jewish man, a man they were taught to hate, and they would accept a gospel that they would know they would be persecuted for. What kind of gospel were they hearing? I imagine it was something like this. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. He who believes in Jesus is not condemned. Imagine being a Samaritan who has been called a half-breed your entire life. Hearing this message that you are not condemned that Jesus has come and set you free, that you are not condemned. I imagine the gospel was something like this, for he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That though your sins were as scarlet, he has made them white as snow, that though they were as crimson, he has made them white as wool. I imagine the gospel they heard that was so irresistible sounded something like this out of Romans 8. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back to the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance and folding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, the spirit joins him in saying these words of tender affection, beloved father. Imagine being a Samaritan, growing up your whole life, hearing that you were an outcast, growing up your whole life, hearing that you did not measure up to the standard of the Torah because you were not a full bred Jew. Imagine being a Samaritan growing up your whole life, uh, believing that you re should receive the inheritance of your father Abraham, but never being able to measure up to the law that was required of you from the Torah. Imagine being a person that tried their entire lives to do enough good works, to bring enough spotless sacrifices, to constantly try to, to uh, navigate around sin, but never being able to be successful. And now someone comes on the scene and says, listen, 
you are accepted fully in the beloved. That the Jews may have rejected you your entire life, but your father does not reject you. That you are fully accepted into the family of God. That you've spent your entire life trying to earn righteousness. And I'm telling you today that he became sin who knew no sin. So you may become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Imagine being a Samaritan hearing this for the first time. I'd imagine some uncontainable joy would begin filling your spirit. I imagine some, something would shift on the inside of you. I imagine something would shift on the inside of you that, that you felt your whole life like you could never amount enough. And now all of a sudden somebody comes along and says that there's this free gift that is offered to us. And now we can be sons and daughters of God. We're no longer half breeds, but we are fully accepted into the beloved family of God. And now, now we can cry out, like it says in Romans 8, beloved father. Do you realize how, how uh, crazy that was in those days? to call God father. You know, they were taught that they couldn't even use the full name of God. His name is Yahweh. That they were taught that they couldn't even use the full name of God. But now, now they call him father. They call him dad. Full acceptance into the family. This was the gospel that was preached to the Samaritans. This was the gospel that caused uncontainable joy to fill the city. And this is the gospel that fixes the spirit of heaviness. This is the gospel that fixes the spirit of heaviness. So why, if we have this gospel, why, if we have received the same gospel that the Samaritans received, why is it that we still walk in heaviness? Why is it that we still deal with the spirit of heaviness? I want to tell you what I think. I think we still deal with the spirit of heaviness because we still walk sometimes in the law. that we are still, even though we may not say it, even though we know what the gospel says, we are still trying to obtain righteousness by works. We are still trying to be good enough to be in the family of God. We are still trying to pray enough, to go to church enough, to do enough works, to stop sinning enough to be accepted as God's beloved children. And when we like the Samaritans and we like the Jews and we like everybody throughout history have not been able to meet the standard, heaviness falls on us because we can never quite measure up to the standard of God. We can never quite measure up to the standard of God. Why do we have heaviness? The law focused, the law's focus was on behavior and works, but the gospel of Jesus 
focuses on identity and grace. Let me say that again. The law's focus was on behavior and works. The gospel of Jesus is focused on identity and grace. Why do we still experience heaviness? Because in some ways, even though we're not bringing animal sacrifices and doing all of those things, in some ways, our taskmaster is still the law because we are still trying to fix behavior by our works instead of being accepted by the grace of Jesus as beloved children. Let me read you here out of Romans chapter three to show you a little bit more what I'm talking about. Romans chapter three. We're gonna start in verse 19. It says, now we realize that everything the law says is addressed to those who are under its authority. Listen to that. We realize that everything the law says is addressed to those who are under its authority. This is for two reasons. So that every excuse will be silenced with no boasting of innocence and so that the entire world will be held accountable to God's standard. For by the merit of observing the law, no one earns the status of being declared righteous before God. For it is the law that fully exposes and unmasks the reality of sin. I read this verse to you because I want you to see the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was never to bring us into righteousness. The purpose of the law was always to expose sin inside of us. Do you see that? The purpose of the law, let me say it again, was never meant to make us righteous. The verses before that I didn't read that we all know is no one is righteous. No, not one, it says. For we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the law was never meant to be presented to us to make us righteous. The law was presented to us to expose and unmask the reality of sin. But now listen to this. In verse 21, it says, but now independently of the law, the righteousness of God is tangible and brought to light through Jesus, the anointed one. This is the righteousness that the scripture prophesied would come. It is God's righteousness made visible through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Whose righteousness is it? God's made visible through Jesus Christ. And now's where it gets good. You ready? And now all who believe in him receive that gift. Whose righteousness is it? God's but then he turns around and he gives that righteousness to us as a gift for all who believe. What is it that we have to do to have righteousness? Is it keep the law? No, one word, believe. How are we made righteous? We believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ, period. And now all who believe in him receive that gift for there is really no difference between us for we all have sinned and are in need of the glory of God. 
Yet through his powerful declaration of acquittal, God freely gives away his righteousness. His gift of love and favor now cascades over us. All because Jesus, the anointed one, has liberated us from the guilt and punishment and power of sin. Amen. Come on, that's so good. I don't even have to preach. I just need to read you the Bible, amen? That he has freely given us the righteousness of God and he has uh, freely given away his righteousness and his love and favor now cascade over us all because Jesus, the anointed one, has liberated us from the guilt and punishment and power of sin. Yes. Come on, you are free. Yes, you are free. Let me say it again. We said it earlier. Maybe that's the theme of today. You are free from the power of sin, that it has no dominion over you, that it once was your taskmaster. It, you were once a slave to sin, but by the grace of God, you have become free. And now you walk in complete freedom from sin. It is no longer your master. You're free. He came to do what? Set the captives free. You are free. Let me say this. You are as righteous now as Jesus is righteous. Now. You are not becoming more righteous. You cannot get more righteous than you are right now. Prove it. For he became sin who knew no sin, that through him, we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are not becoming righteous. You are righteous. We may, we never become more righteous. We do become more aware of our righteousness. Does that make sense? We, may, we don't become more righteous. We are as righteous now as we ever will be in Christ Jesus. But we do become more aware of our righteousness. Why do we keep falling back into sin? We keep falling back into sin because we are so sin conscious. Because we're still trying to, to, to not sin on our own when Jesus said he came and he has now set us free from the captivity of sin. Yes. When we become more righteous focused and we begin to realize our identity in Christ, I, the word in John, it says that those that are in Christ do not sin. Go ahead and read it. John, I think first John chapter three says they do not sin those who are in Christ Jesus, when we become aware of our righteousness, of how righteous we are in Christ Jesus, then I believe that consciousness of sin begins to leave, that our enslavement to sin begins to leave. And we begin walking in the righteousness that we are actually in now. Amen. That the, the fruit of that righteousness starts to come about. Amen. But here's, here's the deal. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place because my notes are all over the place and I was all over the place planning it this week. So just take it as it comes, amen? <laughs> we have been focused on correcting behavior when Jesus focused on correcting our identity. We have been focused on correcting our behavior 
when Jesus focused on correcting our identity. We want people, I'm gonna say some things here. We want people to get saved so that they will stop being homosexuals. We want people to get saved so they'll stop doing drugs. We want people to get saved so they'll stop being alcoholics. And I wanna tell you, those behaviors need corrected, but correcting those behaviors does not make you righteous. It does not make you a new creation. There are many people who have turned from those things who have not come into salvation. Correcting the behavior does not bring you to righteousness. The only thing, the only way to righteousness is through Jesus Christ and through a relationship with him, amen? amen. If it was correcting behavior that made us righteous, then the Pharisees were right all along. If correcting behavior was the way to righteousness, then keep observing the law of the Torah. But the Bible tells us that the purpose of the law was to expose sin, not to cleanse us from it. If, listen, this, this is a profound statement here. I didn't make it, that's why it's profound. <laughs> if Jesus' gospel was about right behavior, then he threw the party for the wrong son in the parable of the prodigal son. If the gospel was about correcting your behavior, then he threw the party for the wrong son in the parable of the prodigal son. In the parable of the prodigal son, you have two sons, right? You have one that takes his father's money, takes his inheritance, and it says he goes off and he lives wildly. He blows the inheritance. He falls into all kinds of corruption and sin. And then you have another son who stayed back with his father and did things the right way, who worked the fields, who helped his father, who honored his father. And every, we all know the story. The son, the prodigal son comes to himself. He comes back home. The father comes and greets him and doesn't even give him a chance to apologize before he can even say, I'm sorry. He throws the robe over the son. He puts the ring on his finger. He puts sandals on his feet and he tells the, the staff to kill the fattened calf. And they throw a party for the return of the son who wasted his inheritance. If the gospel of Jesus was about right behavior, then Jesus messed up the parable because the party should have been thrown for the son who stayed and did everything right. But the gospel is this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because the reality is, we could never measure up to the standard, but he loved us enough that he sent his only son to die for us so that we can make, so that we can attain the standard, not through our righteousness, but through his righteousness. 
Here's another profound statement. And again, it's not profound because I did, it's profound because somebody else said it. Think about this. In the Old Testament, when they would bring a sacrifice for inspection, when they would bring a lamb for inspection for sacrifice, they always inspected the lamb, but they never inspected the one the sacrifice was for. They always inspected the sacrifice and never the one the sacrifice was for. When judgment comes for our sin, the sacrifice is inspected, but not the one the sacrifice is for. That's why John the baptizer looked at Jesus and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When Jesus, when God looks for the sacrifice for sin, he does not look at our merits. He does not look at our righteousness. He does not look at what we've done to obtain it. He looks at the spotless lamb and the spotless lamb righteousness becomes our righteousness. And we are righteous through the spotless lamb. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm gonna read just a couple things here. The gospel is not I cleaned up my life and now God accepts me. The gospel is while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Let's look real quick at Galatians chapter two. I'm, I'm nearing the end here, I think. I don't know, I'm totally off my notes. <laughs> Galatians chapter two, verse 15. It says, although we're Jew by birth and not Jewish sinners, we know full well that we don't receive God's perfect righteousness as a reward for keeping the law but by faith, the faith of Jesus, the Messiah. His faithfulness, not ours, has saved us and we have received God's perfect righteousness. Come on, we have received God's perfect righteousness. Now we know that God accepts no one by keeping of the religious law. If we are those who desire to be saved from our sins though through our union with the anointed one, does that mean that our Messiah promotes our sins if we still acknowledge that we are sinners? How absurd. I'm gonna stop there for a second because I know what maybe some of our minds are doing because my mind does the same thing and it's a mind, our legalistic minds think, well, here's, there's a problem here, there's a flaw. And that flaw is this, Josh, if, if we don't have, if, if righteousness is a gift, then does that mean we can just do whatever we want? Does that mean that we can just live however we want and there's righteousness? And I love, I love Paul's words in Romans chapter six. He says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, certainly not. For how can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? See, here's the brilliancy of the gospel. Brilliancy, that's a word, right? Here is the genius of the gospel. Is that when we correct identity, it compels us to walk in righteousness. Let me give you an example from scripture. In John chapter eight, I believe, the woman caught in adultery 
They all want to stone her. I'm not going to tell the whole story. The, 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 they want to stone her for committing adultery. Jesus says he is without sin, cast the first stone. They all drop their stones. They leave, right? Jesus is standing face to face with the woman. And what does he say to her? He says, woman, where are your accusers? She looks around the room. Nobody's there. And she says that they've all gone. And what does Jesus say to her? He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Let me ask you something. What came first? Correcting behavior? Or I did not condemn you? What came first? Freedom and righteousness being given as a gift or right behavior? He first corrected her identity and he said, I don't condemn you either. Here's the free gift. Now go and sin no more. What happens is, is, is when we realize our identity and our righteousness in Jesus, what happens is it naturally comes out that our behavior is fixed. That the Holy Spirit then comes in and he goes, okay, this needs to be changed and this is changed. And we start looking like the righteousness that was given to us. That identity, when identity is corrected first, then behavior is a secondary consequence. Correcting behavior is a secondary consequence of right and correct identity. That we begun to walk worthy of the calling for which we were called in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I feel like that was a bit messy today, but I just wanna say this to sum all of this up. What I'm hoping you get from this today is that the gospel of Jesus is not that you have to work for your salvation. It's not that you have to quit sinning to be accepted. The gospel of Jesus is that he became sin, that you might become righteous and that you are righteous now today. Not before you correct your behavior, you are righteous now in this moment as Jesus is righteous. I want you to see today that it is not by works, at least anyone should boast, but it is the free gift of Jesus. I want you to know today that you are beloved son and daughter. I want you to know today that, that that's not just jargon. That's not just Christian language that we throw around. That you are enfolded into the family of God. That you are fully accepted right now into the beloved. Before you correct the behavior. Even as I say that, I can feel the tension, right? No, 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 no. You've got to quit drinking and you've got to quit cussing. You've got to quit doing. Listen, before you do all of that, you are accepted in the beloved. Yes. Before you get everything right, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the good news that the Samaritans had uncontainable joy over, that they are now fully accepted in the beloved. And listen, this gospel 
is the fabric of the garment of praise. This uncontainable, irresistible gospel is what brings about the garment of praise that dispels heaviness. That weight you've been walking around on your, with your, with that weight you've been walking with on your shoulders, that heaviness you've been feeling is dispelled when you come into the realization that you are right now accepted into the beloved, that you right now are a son and daughter of God, that you right now are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. An uncontainable joy fills your soul. Amen. Amen.